stand with me. We're going to be reading verses 10 through 16. Those seven verses we're going to be reading and looking into those particular verses as we continue in the book of Acts. Acts 9, verse 10 to 16, I'm reading out of the New King James Version of God's Word. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts as we look at this passage. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be with us to be our teacher, to lead us into your truth to bring remembrance to the things that you've said in order to glorify your Son, Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Give us understanding, God, by your Spirit. Give us also wisdom and discernment to know how we can apply these truths to our own lives in the way that we act and even think. So God, have your way with us, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You guys may be seated. Last week, of course, we looked at the first nine verses and uh, this incredible conversion of Saul of Tarsus, who we know today uh, as the Apostle Paul. And we'll be seeing shortly as we continue through the book of, of Acts when his name, uh, when he became uh, known as Paul. But here we see Saul of Tarsus in his mission to go to Damascus to, to bind those who had left Jerusalem in the dispersion that took place because of the persecution of those in Jerusalem and really in Judea. And it seemed that it was in particular the uh, uh, Greek-speaking Jews that were sent away, we, we, uh, who, who, who left, who fled from uh, Jerusalem. We, we do see that the apostles themselves remained in Jerusalem, um, but we, we see Saul of Tarsus armed with uh, extra, extradition papers, as we talked about last week, to, to go into Damascus, Syria, a foreign country, to bring those people back to be on trial because they had broken the, the Jewish law in committing blasphemy, claiming that this Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the Messiah and all. So that was Saul's intent. We saw that the Lord just basically intercepted him on the way 
to Damascus. But, you know, isn't that the way the Lord works with us, though? You know, I mean, we're going about our life doing what we want to do, doing what we think, maybe even as religious people, doing what we think God wants us to do. And then he just intercepts us. He just intercepts us right where we are, right where we're headed, and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. We need to talk. We had this encounter with Christ, and he changes our lives. He gives us his life, then changes our lives here in, in this particular world, living in this world. So it's just an incredible thing what God does with us, and, 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 and Saul of Tarsus is an ultimate example of all that. Well, as we got to the end of that passage, uh, uh, we, we saw that Saul had this encounter. He basically bows his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ as he saw him there. He was blinded. Uh, he was led by the hand into Damascus to a particular place that we know from these verses we're looking at today, that, uh, a, a place on the uh, uh, street called Straight, they're in Damascus, and he's there, we're told in verse 9, three days without sight, neither eating nor drinking. So we, we learn in this passage that we're looking at now that uh, the Lord speaks to Ananias and tells him that Saul is praying. So this encounter with Jesus caused uh, Saul of Tarsus to begin to seek the Lord in fasting and in prayer. And, you know, it's like it's no surprise. He was a religious man. And he did plenty of praying and fasting. Well, we'll talk a little bit about that as we move forward. But uh, it, it caused him to do that. But, but here we see in verses 10 to 16, we, we, we move away from Saul of Tarsus. And, and, and this passage is strictly about Ananias' own encounter with Jesus Christ, with this, with this vision that he receives from the Lord. Now, there's plenty to talk about with Saul, and we will we'll refer to that because Jesus, of course, talks about Saul to Ananias. But this is about his encounter. And then next week, we're going to uh, see what the result of these two encounters as as the Lord brings Ananias and Saul of Tarsus together. That's what we're going to be looking at next week together. Well, here in verse 10, we see Ananias introduced to us here. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. So he's introduced as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And, and there, there is no other mention of Ananias' name throughout the New Testament after this chapter, um, it just seems like he's one of these, I'll use the word obscure individuals, as a Jewish man who came to Christ, obviously the gospel had, re had, had, had reached Damascus before this event. He had come to the Lord, was it on one of his trips into Jerusalem perhaps? In, in, in recent months, in recent years, we, we don't know for certain how that happened, but certainly he was, was a Jewish man living in Damascus who had come to Christ. And, and living his life for Christ, he, he suddenly is encountered by the Lord in, in, a, in a vision here. 
Um, Paul, the apostle, in Acts 22, uh, when he is speaking uh, to the Jewish mob there in Jerusalem who basically wanted to arrest him, um, he, he speaks about this man, Ananias. He says, Then a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, speaking of him in that way. So Ananias was a very devout Jew, had a good reputation among the Jews who were there, yet he had come to Christ as his Lord and Savior, acknowledging him to be the Jewish Messiah. He was not one of those who had fled from Jerusalem as a result of the persecution that was taking place, basically uh, headed up by Saul of Tarsus. Um, but he, as a believer, is there serving the Lord in Damascus. Well, he has this vision. We see there in verse 10, to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. Now, he has this vision. Now, a, a vision is defined as a sight divinely granted in an ecstasy or in a sleep. A sight. Something that he saw. Not just something that he heard only, but something that he saw. It would appear that because this word is used that he also had an encounter with Christ in the sense of he saw him. He saw the risen Christ. Now, now here we, we, we see that the Lord said in a vision. But later in verse 17, look, look, look at this. Just look forward to verse 17 in the same chapter. Uh, and we'll be looking at this in more detail next week. But uh, Ananias, of course, leaves after he has his encounter with Christ. He goes to this home, and, and he says to, 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 to Saul, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so clearly, Ananias had an encounter with Christ here. He saw him. It wasn't just an angel. It was Jesus himself he saw. And he calls him, of course, Lord. He says, here, here, I, here I am, Lord, responding to this vision, to, to the words of Jesus. Um, that's consistent with what many servants of God have done in responding to the Lord when he speaks to them. We see in Genesis 22, 1, Abraham said, here I am. Genesis 46, 2, Jacob said, here I am. Exodus 3, 4, Moses, here I am. Isaiah 6, 8, Isaiah, here am I, send me. You know, the, these encounters with Christ, and, and, or, or, with the Lord, some of these in the Old Testament, we can't be sure if it was actually Christ himself. I think there's a good chance that it was in each one of those cases. But the point being that each one responds with, here I am. You know, what do you want? You know, your, 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 your servant is here. Even as we, we, we see um, young Samuel responding to the Lord. You know, your, your, your servant waits. You know, as I, and that's the attitude that we need to have. When the Lord speaks to our hearts, it's like, okay, Lord, here I am. What do you want? What do you want me to do? We talked about that, those two questions that, that Saul of Tarsus asked the Lord. You know, first, who are you? And once he discovered it was Jesus, 
What do you want me to do? I mean, it's a very reasonable response to the Lord himself. But we often associate those words with men like this that we just quoted from the Old Testament. Uh, men of the Bible who've been used in a mighty way. Uh, this is the, as I mentioned, this is the only mention of, of this particular servant of the Lord, Ananias of Damascus. And God used him in an incredible special way. Just with one encounter as he sent him to minister to Saul of Tarsus. And that was it. That's all we know of, I should say. That's the only thing that we have in the scriptures in regard to Ananias. But this was an extremely important event, obviously, in the life of the Apostle Paul. Um, and it speaks to us in regard to being Ananias. Just imagine yourself as Ananias. They're serving the Lord in Damascus kind of minding his own business. He could have been in a, in, a, in a time of prayer. Often that's when a vision would take place, we see through the scriptures. Um, but suddenly Jesus appears to him and tells him to go, to go see this guy named Saul. He's from Tarsus. He's heard about him. And we see how he, you know, just kind of, well, I don't know about that, Lord, you know. But we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. But he, he just received this vision and he receives direction from God to do something. And, and, and we see how the, the kind of impact that we can have on another person's life when we're obedient to the Lord to, to go and do something, speak to someone, serve someone somehow, do something. And it's like we, we don't even realize the kind of impact that it might be. Certainly Ananias had no idea that this Saul of Tarsus that he was going to go pray for, that he might, might see, re recover his sight, and, and, and also be filled with the Spirit, that he would write half the New Testament. It's one of the ways that he used this man, Ananias. That he would be filled with the Spirit, and that he, through the Spirit, would write half the New Testament. Now, obviously, we're not going to be ministering to anyone who writes half of the New Testament. But we minister to people, and, and we have no idea how that might impact that person in the coming days, weeks, and even years. You know, um, and, and I'm certain some of you have encountered that. You know, it's like, you remember when this happened, blah, blah, whatever it may have been? You said this to me, and you know, that really ministered to my heart. We change the direction of, 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 of my life in this particular area in which you said. You know, it's like we, we, we see those kinds of things taking place. And we have no idea how we might impact someone. And that's the Lord's business, obviously. That just through an act of obedience, the Lord used Ananias. I want to talk a little bit about what the Lord actually said to Ananias as we get into verse 11. So the Lord speaks to Ananias. He says to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas. For one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. 
not only do we see the Lord speaking to Ananias, but the Lord tells Ananias that he already had given a vision to Saul of Tarsus. Saul's already seen you in a vision. He, he has seen a man named Ananias coming to him to lay hands on him that he might receive his sight. He said, you're that guy. That's you, Ananias. Yeah, I mean, you wonder if, he's, if Ananias is going, you know, there's a lot of Ananiases around here. I'm not the only one. I, I heard you struck one down in Jerusalem here a little while ago with his wife, Sapphira. A lot of Ananiases. There were a lot of Ananiases. Obviously, the Lord doesn't make any mistakes when he speaks to a particular individual. That includes you and me. He doesn't make any mistakes. He knows what he's doing, doesn't he? And when he speaks to you, when he speaks to me, we, we, we need to listen up. And, and you know, we, we might come back with, well, Ananias isn't the first one who had his hesitations. You know, Moses, the classic example in the Old Testament. Well, I can't, I can't do that. You know, I, 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 I'm not that, 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 you know. I can't do that. Well, if the Lord calls us to do something, he will also give us the ability to do it. And it could very well be that none of us may have the particular gift that's necessary to do it in and of ourselves, of course. But with the Lord, he gives us the gift that's necessary in order to do what he's called us to do. That's the case, of course, here with Ananias. And so what the Lord tells Saul, or excuse me, uh, 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 Ananias is that there's a there's this man named Saul of Tarsus. He's in Damascus. I want you to go there. He told him that he's praying. I mentioned already that Saul's response was, was, uh, was a response of, of prayer and fasting. And th these are spiritual disciplines that he developed as a Pharisee. And we know all about the Pharisees, right? Jesus spoke plenty about the Pharisees. Well, Saul was one of those guys. You know, I, I wonder if the Lord Jesus ever saw Saul of Tarsus praying on a street corner in Jerusalem. Could have. It was a common practice of the Pharisees. You know, um, Jesus in Matthew 6, 5 says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. He's talking about the Pharisees here. You shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, and they, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. And we have to wonder if Saul of Tarsus was in that camp in the sense of being one of those Pharisees who, in his self-righteousness, prayed to gather attention. And as it was a discipline that he had formed as a Pharisee, the question has to be asked, has had Saul of Tarsus before ever really prayed? Other than perhaps for show. Had he really sought after the Lord and his heart? Did he really want to be pleasing to the Lord Jesus or did he just want to appreciate and like the position within Judaism as a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin, which he was? 
And the adulation that he received in that context within this religion as others looked up to him in all of his knowledge, being trained by Gamaliel and, and, and so forth. I mean, Saul of Tarsus had it going in terms of being a Pharisee in Jerusalem. And he was doing what he believed God wanted him to do. And certainly if he was a praying man, God would not have directed him to do what he was doing. Certainly didn't seek God over, over that. Certainly didn't surprise the Lord. But we have to wonder. But now, as he's there in Damascus, having this encounter with Christ, and, and he had been knocked to, to the ground, losing his sight, hearing what Jesus had to say, went to this place, and he's praying, not eating, and not drinking. You think his encounter with Jesus kind of stepped up his prayer life a little bit? You think these prayers were real? Absolutely. Absolutely. And one reason we know it was real is because Jesus is telling Ananias what he had already directed Saul about. He's received this vision. He's seen you already, Ananias. It's kind of cool. Kind of cool. And, and I think one of the amazing things about this passage is the way that we see God working in these two men's lives as he brings them together. And we'll be talking about that again more next week. But separately, speaking to Ananias, separately, speaking to uh, uh, Saul of Tarsus, having this encounter with Saul of Tarsus three days prior to this. And at the same time, while he's there in Damascus giving him this vision, separately, you know, it's, it's something that the Lord does. You know, it's so, so, so cool to see the way God orchestrates events. Speaking to you, speaking to me, we come together, and, and it's like, hey, fancy meeting you here. It was no, it's no coincidence. You know, I, I have come to believe, uh, and I believe this for some time now, there are no coincidences in our lives. From God's perspective, there are no coincidences. He leads us, he guides us. And as the sovereign king, he knows what he's doing. We may not know what he's doing, and we may even disagree with the way things are happening, but he knows. He knows. Saul of Tarsus had never prayed with Jesus as his mediator before. Saul of Tarsus had never prayed in Jesus' name. His own heart was proud and far from God as Jesus spoke in regard to the Pharisees. But now, this was probably the beginning of what he wrote to the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. True prayer. And, and, and really, for us as Christian people, praying should be as natural as breathing. You know, we know who we are. We know who God is. We know our need. We know what he can do. We know his sovereignty. We know his power. We know the way he loves us. The, we know his compassion toward us. We know that he has our best interests in mind. And, 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 and as we place ourselves in his hand, we know that we're in a really good place. We pray. We pray. We pray to God because we know he can do something. Because he hears and he responds. So we pray. 
There are some hindrances to prayer, though, that I think would be fitting to talk about just briefly. I'm just going to share a few uh, passages with you just to remind you of what those hindrances are in our lives. In Isaiah, the, the prophet Isaiah writes this in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. Stop there for a moment. That can happen in the sense that we think the Lord just is not listening, or we think that he's just not wanting to do something about this situation, or maybe we're even thinking that he can't. I don't know. But the Lord speaks through Isaiah that that is not the case. Verse 2 says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You know, I, I think one of the first things we have to do is make sure that our hearts are, are right with, with, with the Lord here as this speaks about, you know, is there some sin that we're harboring in our lives that could possibly keep God from really responding to us? And it says, you notice what it says, that he will not hear. It's not that he can't, he won't. And that's, that sounds like the heart of the Pharisees. You know, just praying with pretense pretending to be a follower of Christ when I don't want to do what he's telling me to do. In fact, I'm doing something that he has specifically told me not to do. And I'm praying. You know what I mean? This can be a, a, a convicting aspect of our lives. It's certainly something we need to be thinking about. Are we in a place where recently the Lord has told us to do something and we're hesitating? Hesitation is a no until we stop hesitating. Well, Matthew 6, 5, we've already, we've already looked at this verse. We'll read it again. Jesus said, When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Uh, there, there are times in a prayer meeting that somebody who's a, a, a seasoned prayer warrior... Uh, been around church a long time, uh, had a relationship with the Lord for quite some time, um, can be in a prayer meeting and somebody new to the Lord hears that person pray, and that person can say, well, I sure love to hear you pray. And of course, this person can, have heard, can perhaps have already heard that kind of thing a number of times and likes to pray to hear those comments. That can happen. We've got to be careful. We've got to guard our hearts. Don't pray for that reason, obviously. James 4, 3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Rather than asking for the Lord's will, having a, the idea of, Lord, your will be done, not my own. I'm sure all of us have plenty of times been praying for things that were not God's will. However, many times we don't know what his will is in a certain situation. I've been doing that a lot lately in regard to, to, to my precious bride. You know, it's like I'm praying that she be healed, but I'm acknowledging, Lord, I don't know if that's what your will is. 
And that, that causes me to feel like, you know, it's like, am I right now just being, is this a lack of faith? Praying, and Lord, I don't know what you want to do here, but, but I don't know what he wants to do. And, and, and I know he can heal her. I know he hasn't healed her yet, but I don't know if he's waiting or if he's got something else in mind. I just don't. But I'm praying. I may be praying something that just isn't his will. I'm open to that. I think I am. I want to be. You know what I mean? I mean, th those kinds of things. And we, we, we go through those things in our lives with various areas. I mean, whatever, whatever you're going through right now, you may be praying. You may have the same thing going on in your own heart, you know? Um, I'm certainly not wanting to sp spend that prayer on my own desires. And yet, at the same time, it is a desire that I have that she would be healed. I, I, I want to be able to have a conversation with my wife again. I miss her. She's there, but I miss her. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about there. Well, one, one other thing, aside from these things that I've already said, in 1 John 5:14, another thing that can hinder our prayer, John writes, now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I just I pretty much talked about that. You know, uh, we can spend it on our own pleasures or we can ask not according to his will. And so many times we don't know what his will might be. And we just have to kind of say, Lord, your will be done, not my own. Your will be done, not my own. Because I don't know what you want to do. I don't see anything in the scripture that applies to this necessarily. You've not told me in my situation. The Lord hasn't told me that he's going to heal my wife. He hasn't told me that. I'd love for him to tell me that. He hasn't, you know? So that particular prayer may not be answered the way I want it to be answered, but I believe very strongly that the, that, that prayer will be answered and is being answered. And the Lord is either saying wait or he's saying no. You know, that's another thing. Just because we don't get the answer we want doesn't mean the Lord's not answering. Well, other things that Ananias heard from Jesus. We see this here in this passage, of course. Um, uh, he, he, is, uh, he had a vision, and he's praying. And, and, and in other words, he's seeking me. It's like the Lord is telling Ananias, he's seeking me. And I'm speaking to his heart. You know, um, perhaps a, 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 a material, or, or excuse me, perhaps vision of material things. Seeing the world the way it is. Seeing things around us. Seeing our problems. Seeing the way that we do. Perhaps that can hinder our prayer life because it can hinder our, our understanding of the spiritual aspect of our lives. Having a vision of the material world can hinder our vision of the spiritual things, our understanding of the spiritual things. Let's do the best that we keep. Let's do the best we can to keep those things straight. You know, um, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and 
in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Hebrews 11.1 1 defines what faith is. Now, faith is a substance of things not uh, hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Substance basically speaks about a realization of it. Evidence speaks about confidence. The things hoped for. Faith, the things hoped for, things not yet happened, that have not happened, and yet we, 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 we see them. There's a realization of it. And then the confidence that that's going to be taking place. You know, I have absolute utmost faith that my wife and I are going to spend eternity together worshiping Jesus. And we both are going to have bodies much better than, than anything. I mean, when I was 28 years old, it's going to be much better even then. You know, I mean, it's just a body fitted for heaven. You know, and 42 years later, you know, well, anyway, never mind. But you know, obviously the, the Lord was speaking some things to, to Ananias here to, to give him confidence in regard to him going to see um, Saul of Tarsus. But we see in verse 13 and 14, um, but we also see the purpose for uh, um, uh, Ananias to go there, to, to pray for him that he might receive his sight is what we see. And, and Ananias later, when he comes to, to, to Paul, uh, Saul of Tarsus, in verse 17, he says that the Lord sent me to that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. doesn't mean that that's not what Jesus said. It's just not recorded here by Luke. Uh, but Ananias kind of balks at this, you know. He, he says, Lord, I've heard about this man, how he has, I, I've heard about him from many people, how he's done a lot of harm to your saints there in Jerusalem. By the way, the first time the word saints is used in the New Testament. In, in terms of referencing people in the church, referencing people like us. And, and, and verse 14, now he's come with the authority to take anyone back with him, any of those believers from Jerusalem back with him there so that they can be bound by him and so that he can deal with them. And then in verse 15 and 16, we see Jesus saying more to him. Um... He's a chosen vessel of mine. You know, we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. We'll get to that in ju just, just a few moments. But I think that in the, in the confidence level, as, as the Lord is raising the confidence, increasing the confidence level of Ananias and going to see this man, especially the idea that, you know, he's praying and he's seeking you. Is, is it true for you? It is for me that when, when I know someone truly is seeking after the Lord, truly wants the Lord's will in his or her own life, that gives me the freedom to speak more directly to the spiritual issues in that person's life. You know, it just gives us freedom, and we, we feel safe doing that. We, we feel that it might actually accomplish something. And I think sometimes we, we run into this problem it's like the Lord might direct us to do something, and we're going to say, we say, well, that's not going to do any good. I've tried that before. I've said those words before. It's not going to do any good. The issue is, is the Lord directing us to say it again or not? It's not up to us 
to bring about any kind of benefit or blessing. It's not up to us to bring about some kind of, of, of result. It's up to us just simply to obey the Lord and what he says. You know, I, I've certainly been there before. It's like, you know, I don't know if that's going to do any good. And, and, and the Lord says, that's not what I'm asking you to do, make, it ha- make anything good out of it. He said, that's my job. You just do what I'm saying. You know, I mean, as, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but that, that kind of thing in my heart, you know, he, he, as he speaks to me. And so we, we, we have to be careful about that um, and yet just move forward doing what he has shared with us, what he is uh, wanting us to do. I spoke a, a moment ago about the, the, the blessing that it is, the way that God is, is working both ends of it, S- speaking to Saul of Tarsus, dealing with him, speaking with Ananias, dealing with him. You know, and we, we see the Lord with these two men. I mean, as, as Saul of Tarsus set out for Damascus, at that moment in time, basically, these two Jewish men this Pharisee bent on destroying the way, this other Jewish man who had become a part of the way, basically adversaries, enemies. Now we see the Lord bringing them together. Isn't that a cool thing? We see the Lord bringing them together. We're reminded of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, which says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And so, God dealing with the two of them. Now, after Ananias responds the way that he did, which we see there in verse 13 and 14, now Jesus continues in verse 15. The first word Jesus says is, go. He could have just stopped there. Just go. But in his kindness, he didn't. He shared a few other things with Ananias. He said, he's a chosen vessel of mine. Now, now right there, it's like, okay, a chosen vessel. There's a lot being said right there. Jesus telling Ananias that Saul of Tarsus is a chosen vessel of mine. Um, Chosen. He's been selected by Jesus himself. Mine. He belonged to Jesus. Vessel. He's an instrument that I'm going to be using. He's a vessel that I am filling to use for my purposes. Chosen by me. And by the way, he belongs to me. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We, we all are in that place, guys. We, we are chosen instruments of God, and he's working on us as those vessels. We're his workmanship, his poema, the, the artist pour, pouring himself into his artwork. And, of course, that artwork for us is the, the spiritual work that God is doing in our lives. Romans 8.28, Paul wrote, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according 
to his purpose. The emphasis there, the called according to his purpose. He has a purpose for us. And he's called us to fulfill that purpose. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has, done, who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's not going to stop working on us. And all of us can sit here and say, believe me, he's still got a lot of work to do, right? Amen? He's still working. And he won't stop. He won't stop. We may delay the progress through our own lack of obedience uh, to him. But still, he's working. He always is going to be working on us. This sense of purpose. Paul wrote about his own sense of having been chosen by God. Romans 1.1, he says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated, set apart to the gospel of God. He understood this. Galatians 1.15 to 16a, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. As, as Paul wrote that to the, to the Galatians, he understood that from the time of his birth and even before, God had called him to this ministry to be an apostle of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Three days before this, while, while Saul is on his way to Damascus, he had no idea about that. No idea about that. There comes a time in our lives that the Lord speaks something to us. It's the first time that we've heard it, but as we grow accustomed to it, walking with the Lord, serving the Lord later, we, we see how God had orchestrated things in our past long before we bowed our knee to Jesus to bring us to this place where we are today, serving him the way that we are. Ephesians 3, 7, and 8, of which I became a minister, speaking of the gospel, according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effecting working of his power to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. This is what God had called him to, to bear the name of Christ before Gentiles, kings, and the children of of Israel, and that's exactly what he did. All three of those groups of people, the children of Israel, Gentiles, as well as kings. And again, in Philippians 3.12, now that I perfectly attained, or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. So we press on to allow the Lord to accomplish his purposes in us. We, we see also Ananias hearing Jesus tell him that he is going to bring suffering in Paul's life. Uh, he, he, he tells Ananias, I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. That makes me wonder you know, and, and we're not told here by the Lord, 
as the Lord speaks to Ananias, we're not told when this was going to take place. But certainly, if Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to show him how many things he must suffer for my namesake, that means he's going to show him how many things he's going to suffer for Jesus' name. Makes me wonder, after I got saved, if I had heard from the Lord, the, the things that I was going to suffer simply because I'm going to be following him, would I continue on? You know what I mean? Would you? I mean, even, even looking back, we can see perhaps the way that we, we have suffered as Christians in this world. It's the most natural thing in, the, in, in this world for, for that to take place. For us, as followers of Christ, whom the world hates, to encounter suffering apart from the natural suffering that we encounter just because we're in the world. That those who don't follow him suffer too. Sickness and disease and so forth, right? But because we're following after Jesus. Well, Paul wrote about his suffering in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 to 28. He says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more and labor is more abundant, and stripes above measure, and prisons more frequently, and deaths often. From the Jews, I've, uh, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, and journeys often, and perils of waters, and perils of robbers, and perils of my own countrymen, and perils of the Gentiles, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren and weariness and toil and sleeplessness often and hunger and thirst and fastings often and cold and nakedness besides the other things what comes upon me daily my deep concern for all the churches. You know, Paul wasn't just simply an apostle and an evangelist and a church planter. He was also a pastor. He had a pastor's heart for all those that he that he ministered to. Man, what a list. In 30 years of ministry, this takes place. And later in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, he writes this, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will bet rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then... I am strong. Just the realization of going through these things and his own weakness being made manifest and, and celebrating his own weakness because that means that because of that, he has the power of Christ. That's one of the things that's tough for us. I, I think especially for men. You know, I have never wanted anybody to see my faults, my weaknesses. What about you guys? 
I mean, you might say, oh, we see them every day, Pastor. No, I don't know what I'm talking about. What, do you guys want people to see your own weaknesses? Do we celebrate our own weaknesses? In our own hearts, even before the Lord, do we celebrate that? Lord, thank you that I'm such a numbskull. Thank you that I can't do anything right. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, but that's when we have the power of Christ upon us. When we acknowledge our own frailties and weaknesses. And he would even boast, celebrate those weaknesses. That's just an amazing thing to me. But a, but a very important truth for us. 2 Timothy 1, 11 and 12, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. He suffered these things, but he's not ashamed because he knows he doesn't back down, he doesn't shrink, shrink away because I know whom I have believed. You guys know who you, who you have believed? You understand the, the power of that one whom you have believed? Do you understand the love that that one whom you have believed has for you? His ability to keep you? That which I've committed to him, we've committed our lives to him. He's able to keep us. He's able to keep us. That's what Paul is writing there. And aside from all that, Philippians 1.29, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, He's given us the faith to believe, but he also has given to us suffering, but to suffer for his sake. And obviously in the scriptures, there's many examples of faithful men who suffered, Jesus being the primary example uh, among each one of them, among them all. Uh, Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.21, uh, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving an example that you should follow his steps. And the context there is our own suffering for him, even as Jesus is an example of suffering for us. You know, there's two places that, that Jesus is explicitly called an example for us. Here, in terms of suffering, and then John 13 in terms of service, when he washed the apostles' feet. I've given you an example, he said. Service and suffering. It is the inevitable suffering, the inevitable result of living in a world that hates our Lord Jesus. Of course, Jesus said to his, his followers, in, uh, his, his apostles, I should say, John 15, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Uh, others, much more he said, but that, that's the crux of it. The world will hate us because it hated Jesus first. So this one that we're following, this one that we love, this one who we're becoming like is hated by the world, and so will we. Remember, the Lord gives us the ability to make our own choices. 
And in the same way that he watched his son suffer on the cross, being executed by those who chose to persecute him. They believed it was persecution, but Jesus had given himself over to them to be executed, didn't he? But in the same way that our God watched his son on the cross suffer, he watches us too. He sees us. He sees what's going on. He sees what's happening. Even with the idea of persecutors and so forth, we talked about persecution last week and the number of persecutors in the world and so forth. God sees. And he will deal with them appropriately. Let's also remember that even as God the Father watched his son die on that cross, he raised him from the dead on the third day after. We too will. We have the hope. We have the expectation that we too will receive a resurrection body. We're going to receive that perfect body that I mentioned before. You know, fitted for heaven, fitted for all eternity. That's before us, guys. But first, we're here. First, we're here. You know, A.W. Tozer wrote, it's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. That goes for women too. And it goes from that area of being used by him, especially. Um, but we have some wonderful things before us. We have heaven before us. And let's remember that Jesus spoke to, to, to the Apostle Paul, telling him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's our God. So as we're here before him today, let, let's remember that. Let's remember who he is. He's just not a God who calls us to suffer. He calls us to eternity with him. He calls us to, to, to celebration. Suffering in this world, yes. There's going to come an end to it. A lot of us are going through suffering right now. You know, and in a moment, we're going to be celebrating communion. We're going to, in our, in our mind's eye, we're just going to remember Jesus on that cross as we hold the elements in our hand, you know, the, the, the bread representing his body and, 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 and the, the, the juice representing his blood and, and so forth. And, you know, as, as, as we do, we'll be remembering that all this is about our future with him, what he has purchased for himself, us ourselves. So we're going to go ahead and partake in just a moment. Uh, Tony, could you and Ryan come on up and prepare to lead a, a, a song for us? And, and by the way, anyone, does everyone have, you know, the, the elements you have in, in your hand now? Is anyone who does not have this, can you raise your hand so that Fritz here can get some to you? He'll, he'll get them to you so that you can celebrate. But as I shared, we're going to be celebrating communion in just a moment. And you know, just the idea of what Jesus did for us. We're going to be worshiping. Then I'm going to share some thoughts and we'll partake together.